You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And hey, this football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Now that the Vikings have notched a win, I can get excited about the Vikings again, and I'm, I'm really hyped to see what happens on Sunday night with the Seahawks. And Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. And you can go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. And today we've got a jam-packed day. There's a whole bunch to talk about. I want to spend most of the day on uh, coverage identification, because there's a lot of talk about what is or isn't a, a prevent defense and what exactly coverages are and how to kind of uh, look at them at live in a real game, how to identify them the way that quarterbacks do. So for that, I brought in my good friend Jordan Reed, not the tight end for the Niners, but uh, the former college quarterback, and now he's a draft scout for uh, the Draft Network. He actually had this show, he hosted this show for a couple of episodes in 2018 as well. So he is going to come onto the show and explain coverage breakdowns and pre-snap reads and stuff to me, and we'll talk about pre-event defense and all of that. And of course, we also have your questions. It's Twitter Tuesday, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's just dive right into it. And the the question that I really wanted to answer, and I guess I'll set up the, the interview with JR this way is how do you read coverages? And more relevantly, how do you read whether or not there's a team in like prevent defense? Prevent defense is, I think, kind of a nebulous thing. What what prevent defense really is, is say, you know, you're up two scores with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and basically all you need is to prevent a, a an immediate touchdown. They can get 25 yards on you all day, but if they don't have any timeouts or whatever, and they, they have to, you know, run up the field and clock it, then, you know, you can let them catch a pass for a big chunk of yardage, as long as you keep it in bounds and tackle it and make sure it's not this big giant, you know, Hail Mary touchdown, then you're going to be fine. And all you're trying to do is force them to take time off of the clock. And that's usually only for like when the other team is in completely desperation situations. I mean, this is this is the defense that counters a Hail Mary you go in to prevent. But I think what is often uh, like mis misdescribed as prevent defense is uh, like softer zones that you do in leading situations. You know, you're up three scores in the fourth quarter and you're just kind of trying to play soft, trying to avoid the the spark big giant touchdown that lets them back in the game. But you can't exactly let them go, you know, down and drive and score a touchdown in 55 seconds either. So you have to play some like softer zones. You're not exactly trying to, you know, be a, like totally suffocating. But for the most part, you're still in your like base concepts. And a lot of times people will mistake that for prevent defense and say, wow, prevent defense prevents you from winning and like say the cliche and it's really they're mistaking like prevent defense and some like strategic choice to give up a few yards to help more clock come off for just bad defense where you just played poorly and that happened in the Texans game the the Vikings gave up a touchdown right away um when they were up 15 the, the Texans drive all the way down get a touchdown they were in their base coverages in in that sequence the the drive that ended in the Kenny Stills touchdown off of the Georgia Loco blown coverage they were in their normal coverages in fact that touchdown was cover two they had only two deep players 
players. And uh, George Iloka thought it was quarters and it wasn't quarters. Holton Hill is actually passing that guy off to stay underneath and stay like disciplined for the flats and stuff so that it was like very definitionally not prevent defense. And so I guess what we should probably do is talk about like what coverages are. And we've kind of done this exercise on this show before. So if you're a longtime listener, this might be a little bit of some uh, some repetition. Uh, so bear with me because we'll get to the interview soon. Um, but basically cover one, cover two, cover three, blah, 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 is basically cover however many deep players there are. If there's one deep player, one deep safety and everybody else is in man to man, that's cover one. Cover two is two deep play deep players. And that can be man to man or you like divide everybody up into underneath zones. But you still have, you know, two deep deep people splitting the field and stuff. Um, and JR, I'll talk about a little bit of that too. You know, cover three, cover four, that's all the same. And then you have some weird stuff like uh, cover five is if you have one half of the field playing cover three and one half of the field playing cover two, that's one thing. That's not a very common coverage um, because you, know, you might as well just play cover three if you're going to have three deep defenders. And then of course, you know, there's cover six, which is a little bit more, uh, more standard. That's for like unbalanced things. You'll have cover two on one side of the formation. So you'll have like a deep safety uh, responsible for like the deep left half of the field and then cover four on the other side so you'll have like a safety and a corner split it and you'll do that if you have like maybe a corner that needs a little bit of extra help or if you have if you know if they they come out in with three wide receivers on one side and just one on the other side and you maybe will respond to it that way and cover seven similar idea cover three on one side cover four on the other that's the way that like coverages uh typically are are divided into those shells now within those there's a whole bunch of different uh variations like for example in cover two you can play cover two man you can play a cover two zone you can play different kinds of cover two zones you can play like a cover two invert where the corners will take the deep part of the field like the safeties usually would and the safeties will kind of come underneath and like try to pick off a pass or something like that I'm not a big fan of that one um, but there's a lot of different variations along that. But really, the the at the crux of it all is how many deep defenders there are. The more deep defenders there are, the more conservative you're being, right? The more you're worried about defending against the deep pass. You have four people defending deep. That's because you're worried that, you know, you really, really, really don't want to get beat deep. And of course, the disadvantage is if you have four deep defenders and four people rushing the passer like normal, that only leaves three players left over to cover underneath. So a cover four coverage is going to be really, really vulnerable to like underneath stuff like slant flat or some kind of like spacing concept, some quick pass kind of concept. You wouldn't necessarily want to do cover four against those concepts. If you can sniff it out, you'd want a little bit more underneath help. And of course, you know, if you wanted to do cover one and you have the horses to just go man to man to man, like the, the Vikings would actually do that a ton in like 2017 when Rhodes was playing out of his skull and Trey Waynes was playing really well and you had great safeties and stuff. And they would play a bunch of cover one man-to-man and they just shut people down one-on-one and you didn't have to do any complicated zone things you didn't have to worry about passing a player from one zone to the next you didn't have to worry about communication you didn't have to worry about you know making sure somebody was in the right spot or whatever you just said all right I got you and I'm going to beat you and the the 2017 Vikings had the players to be able to do that that's kind of how that defense got so historic but if you're sitting on the offense or if you're just watching the game and you want to identify this you can kind of play along at home and try to identify what the coverage is assuming you can see the safeties but sometimes you can even like see that there's a safety off screen if there's only 10 players on the defense um you know either they just forgot a player which is pretty rare or there's a guy off screen and you can kind of understand oh there's one safety or there's two safeties that are really deep because i only see nine players the other two must be deep safeties um and and you can kind of play along that way if you know what to look for but I'm not exactly the guy to explain that to you because I never played and I figured let's just talk to somebody who did and somebody who covers uh and and scouts football for a living uh so let's bring in Jordan Reed and and talk to him about all this. 
But first, I want to talk to you about NFL Game Pass, which enables a whole bunch of the stuff that I can do on this show with all of the film content that I get to bring to you. And actually, it helps me answer some of the questions from the mailbag that's coming up as well. So this season, you can get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. You can learn from the best like Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Eric Kendricks, and some non-Vikings too, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. So go to nfl.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. All right, we are here with Jordan Reed, JR, not the tight end for the San Francisco 49ers, but the college scouting analyst for the Draft Network. Jordan, what's going on, man? Happy to be here, man. It's been a while since I've been on, so it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome back. But today, I don't. Uh, we're not going to talk so much about draft prospects, but uh, I want to talk to you about coverages because you played quarterback in college, uh, much more than I can say. Um, you played, where'd you play? North Carolina Central. Gotcha. So uh, basically, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about how to read coverages pre-snap because you have a little bit of experience about it, and I was hoping you could teach me a thing or two. Um, so I guess, you know, when I'm looking at a defense and I'm trying to figure out what the coverage is, like if I'm watching tape or if I'm watching live and I'm just trying to figure it out, I usually am trying to look at the safeties and the corners, assuming I can see them. Um, so do you have like a process for what those things tell you, or at least like a generally, know, if the safeties, there's this many safeties deep, it means this like super, super basic, uh, you know, high level stuff. Uh, what are the, like, what does the alignment of the secondary tell you? Yeah, so I'm going to try to do my best without getting on my whiteboard here. But um, I think the best way to tell coverages is pretty much looking at the safeties. I think that's the easiest way to do it. So the basic way to break it down is that there's only a certain amount of combinations that safeties can play. Either there's going to be zero safeties high, which means there's no safeties on what is called the roof of the defense, which is just the third level. There's going to be one safety deep or there's going to be two safeties deep. I think that's the basic way to break it down. Now, if you have no safeties deep, that is what is called cover zero. Cover zero is just meaning there's probably an all-out blitz and there's man-to-man a coverage across the board. So what you notice is that everybody on the defense, as far as the secondary and the linebackers, they're going to be staring into the chest of whoever their assignment is, and they're going to be aligned directly in front of them. So that's pretty much a breakdown of cover zero. You usually have seven guys in coverage. That's usually the basic number, um, depending on the type of defense that you play. But seven is usually like the universal number that everybody uses when breaking down coverages. Uh, with cover two, cover two means that you have two safeties uh, on the roof of the defense. And also you have everybody that has like a fraction of the field. So with those two safeties, um, they have what is called deep halves. Um, so they just take a half of the field and they're getting off of the hashes. The corners have what is called the flats, which is just the outside areas that are normally is covered by the outside receivers. And they're they're designed to just press, or which just means jam receivers at the line of scrimmage, then you have the middle linebacker, which pretty much has the middle of the field. And then you have the two other linebackers that are responsible for what is called the hook to curl area. And for you guys know that whatever a curl route is, they have that certain area, uh, which is just like kind of a button hook route. And there's plenty of route depths uh, as far as what teams use them. And then the other basic coverage 
um, that falls under with one safety in the middle of the field is what is called cover one or cover three. Cover one is just a fancy way to say man coverage with a single high safety in the middle of the field. And then cover one and cover three look very similar, but the difference between the two is that cover three is not man-to-man. The outside corners take a third of the field, which is just pretty much the has the sidelines area of the field. And then you have a deep safety in the middle of the field that just roams pretty much from hash to hash, but he is responsible for the middle of the field. So that's just a breakdown of cover zero, one, two, also three, and then cover four. It's just your basic zone coverage where everybody is just getting back with two safeties on the roof, keeping everything in front of them. That makes sense. So, you know, looking at the safeties, assuming you can see them, can tell you at least some of the basics about about the defense in terms of how many guys they have deep and maybe that affects the play call. You know, if you have four people going vertical and you see only one safety back, you know somebody's going to be uncovered um, and you want to snap that and and or, you know, maybe you want to check into a four vertical call if you see them into that. Uh, if, if you have that available to you or whatever. But uh, one of the other things that I think confuses people a lot is uh, how to determine whether or not it's going to be like a soft zone or, um, or man or like soft man, or, you know, there's also like man match principles and stuff, which we don't have to go into, but like man zone indicators, um, you know, and I, I don't know what scheme you played with at North Carolina Central, but there's a lot of uses for like motion that can kind of reveal man coverage and stuff. But what, what are the mechanics of that? How does that work if, you know, Adam Thielen motions from outside to a tighter into the formation? How does that tell you whether or not the defense is in man or zone? Well, the big thing about pre snap motion and why it's such a big thing in the NFL now is that it pretty much forces the defense to really show their hand. And what I mean by show their hand is that whenever you see, let's use Adam Thielen for an example, if he goes in motion and there's a guy that runs with him, that pretty much tells Kirk Cousins that it's going to be man coverage. And I think it kind of takes a lot of the thinking out of it for the quarterback from a post-snap standpoint. What I mean by post-snap is after the ball is snapped. So instead of Kirk having to recognize that it is man coverage once the ball is snapped, he already knows pre-snap when Adam Thielen is coming in motion that, okay, I have man coverage on this play. So now he knows exactly what to go or where to go as far as his progression. So that's why pre-snap motion is such a big thing now, but also it really helps in the run game as well, just to create angles and create advantageous situations for your offensive lineman up front now. So that's really the big thing about pre-snap motion that's going around with the NFL now. So then you have to kind of like put these two things together. So if you say see a uh, say you see one high safety, so it's cover one or cover three, and then there's a motion and that gives you a, a man coverage indicator. Let's say, you know, Adam Thielen motions, a guy runs with them. So you go, okay, that's man coverage. Then you probably are saying, okay, this is cover one. And then you can evaluate, does my play beat cover one or does it die to cover one? And do I have to check out of it? Do I have to do something different? And that's basically like the, uh, the, the pre-snap kind of uh, super broad strokes, pre-snap thought process. But I guess, um, the, the next step for that, the next question is, what else is there to think about that you would maybe see uh, coming from some of these super cerebral Peyton Manning type quarterbacks, you know, uh, dialing in and out on the line of scrimmage? Um, is it, is, d- does that cover most of it outside of like super mundane details? Or is there like a big step that we're missing for figuring out like what coverages are and trying to diagnose and trying to look at that? Well, I mean, there's a lot just because there's so much that quarterbacks have to worry about that a lot of people don't really know prior to the snap. You have to worry about if the formation is correct. 
um, if everybody is aligned correctly. And then especially if it's a passing play, you have to know. Uh, so what I used to do is just imagine the routes in your head where everybody is kind of going. I think the biggest or the best way to explain this is kind of like you could press like I haven't played Madden in years, but it was like L2 or R2 to show your play on the screen uh, prior to snapping the ball. And I think that's kind of what it's like uh, when you're actually in the game. But as far as motion, um, I think it's pretty much used to help the quarterback and also the offensive lineman. Uh, like I said, with those angles in the running running game to create those advantageous matchups. But you also, as a quarterback, have to worry about if you have the proper numbers in order to run, uh, cert play certain ways just because with those motions, sometimes a lot of teams have blitz checks of where they just like to blitz uh, guys from the edges in a sense. And you don't want to make sure that you're running a play directly into a blitz. So for an example, um, if they're running an edge play to Dalvin Cook to the boundary, which is just the short side of the field, but they send Adam Thielen in motion, a blitz check for a team maybe to, to just send that corner off of the line of scrimmage, off of the edge. And you want to make sure that you're not running into that type of blitz. So, I mean, I could go on and on about some of these things that as far as pre-snap responsibilities for the quarterbacks and then what exactly goes into these pre-snap motions for quarterbacks and the indicators that it gives them. Excellent. JR, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me, Luke. All right, we are going to get into the mailbag pretty soon. I've got your questions from Twitter Tuesday all queued up here. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about your windshield. Now, I don't know if your windshield is treated with anything rain repellent, but you can actually get a rain repellent material that you can apply to your windshield for $3.20 on Rock Auto. It'll repel rain. It'll make it so you don't need to use as much windshield wiper fluid. It repels dirt and bugs and sleet and snow and stuff, too. And we know it's getting to be that time of year in Minnesota. So if you're interested in that, or if you're interested in anything that Rock Auto has to offer, which is pretty much everything your car could ever need, just enter your make, your model, your year, and they'll sort through, make sure they're only offering you compatible parts, and you can probably save a buck too, as compared to the brick and mortar auto shops. So if you're interested in that and you want to buy anything from Rock Auto, please let them know in the How You Heard About Us section that Locked On sent you, because I cannot keep stealing merch from this Packers store and selling it on the Milwaukee black market. Now, on Sunday, the Vikings finally broke through that wall and got their first win. But maybe you have a wall that you are dealing with, too. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, the solution to breaking through that wall is Biltco. Biltco is the healthy replacement for something like an energy drink because the energy isn't fake. It's lasting and it's natural. It combines energy gel with something called collagen protein, which is this fast absorbing protein. So it can get into your system fast and it's pretty easy on the stomach and it gives you this nice natural burst of energy that lasts throughout the day. It's loaded with totally natural stuff to give you energy like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a little bit of kick of caffeine. So if you want to get in on this, go to BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, it is finally time to get to your questions here on Twitter Tuesday. I want to start with one from Kyle Omdevet. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, who said, the last two weeks, the defense has been appearing to make strides and then totally takes a foot off the gas and lets teams right back in the game. Is this more coaching or players not being aggressive once they get a lead? And I, I don't think it's either of these things. I think you might have noticed that pattern, but I think it's just because it happened like 
twice in a row. And I don't think that's enough of a pattern for it to be like a trend that needs an explanation. Here's the thing. I think the offense is pretty good and the defense is pretty bad. And that's just going to be kind of how it goes, where you get up to a two score lead if you get one stop because the offense can score a lot. And then the defense can let a lot of scores happen. And you can just let the team right back in the game because the defense just isn't playing very well. Last week, it was a lot had a lot to do with Harrison Smith being ejected from the game and George Iloka blowing coverages. The week before that, the corners didn't play nearly as well as they played in this game. So I, I think this is the kind of thing that just, I think, happens when your defense struggles, which I, I, I get it. We're not used to that. It's been a while, but that's going to be kind of how this season goes until the corners can start to get their feet under them and the defense can sort of start to figure figure all their stuff out. Uh, the next one comes from a replacement level guard who says, how badly do the Vikings need me? Uh, which a hilarious love the bit uh and b to actually answer that question i don't really think it's that bad listen drew samia there's a whole bunch of pff stuff that came out we'll talk about it more tomorrow but uh right now drew samia of i think 763 qualifying offensive players who have like played enough snaps snaps to like make it onto the list he is 763rd he's dead last in pff grade and one of the worst offensive players in the league but like what's the impact of that right now yeah there's a lot of pressure there was a ton of pressure uh from Kirk Cousins in or on Kirk Cousins in in this game, but a lot of it Kirk Cousins caused himself and invited himself. Kirk Cousins is still throwing deeper than anybody in the league. He's got more twenty plus yard passes than anyone in the league as, as like a percentage of his of attempts. He has uh, a higher average depth of target than anybody in the league. So it's not like it's preventing them from going deep or making them shorten up their offense to like be more quick passy to get rid of the pressure. And it's not like the running game is suffering at all. Dalvin Cook looks fantastic. And a lot of that has to do with the blocking in front of him. So listen, I, I can't say that a replacement level guard wouldn't improve upon Drew Samia. I, I, Drew Samia is not replacement level right now. So a replacement level guard would be better. And by the way, replacement level usually refers to like the bottom 25% of uh, of players. That is kind of the idea of if you took somebody out of the XFL, they would probably not be the dead last worst one in the league. They'd probably be like, you know, 25th percentile. So that's what that means. Um, and, and I do think that that would improve on Drew Samia, but I don't think the impact of that would be like that much. The offense is doing pretty well in spite of the bad guard play because guard play just... It, it can only mess you up so bad. You know, bad guard play is five pressures and, you know, maybe some of those don't even matter. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's like if we're talking about like what we could we could add to the Vikings to really improve them. I'd be talking about a, a cornerback. I'd be talking about an edge rusher. You know, give me Daniel Hunter back before we get a guard. Right. Moving on. Uh, Jeremy Parr says as bad as Hill has been at cornerback. What is the status of all the other projects that were in camp? Isn't it time to move on with a different prospect and see what they have? And you also ask the same question for guard. Um, so I actually kind of disagree. Holden Hill had a decent game. Um, he had a not great PFF grade in the game against the Texans because of a couple penalties, but he was targeted five times. He only let one of them be caught. He got three really, really highlight pass breakups. And one of the penalties on one of those, uh, I, I thought was a little ticky tack. Um, but yeah, he's got to get a little handsy and he needs some discipline, but no, I still, still think he's playing right now, at least outside of the game where Devonte Adams totally put him in a tornado, which it's Devonte Adams. So it's hard to like fault him too bad for that. But, and, and outside of that, he has definitely been a starting quality corner 
And the other projects like Chris Boyd or whatever who's hurt, I mean, Harrison Hand would have been your backup in this game if you wanted to play a different cornerback. If you wanted to bench somebody, you would have been putting Harrison Hand, a fifth-round draft pick rookie who is suffering from the same things that are stymieing Dantzler and Gladney. But I don't know. I thought the corners played okay in in that that Texans game, and I I don't think we necessarily need that. Um, At guard, I think it's the same, kind of the similar thing. I mean, for one, yeah, you you need Pat Elfline back to improve upon Drew Samia. I think that's been pretty well demonstrated that Elfline is better than Samia. And that's why Elfline was starting over Samia, which I, I think, you know, Occam's Razor, that's going to be the case more often than not. If there is a project and they're not ready, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, like they they, they probably have more upside, right? Like somebody like Ezra Cleveland probably has upside as a better guard than Dakota Dozier. But if he doesn't know the calls yet, you know, miscommunications can cause catastrophes, just like we've seen with George Iloka, just like we saw with the Justin Jefferson uh, interception that happened in the last game where he ran the wrong route and, and Kirk Cousins delivered the ball to where it wasn't supposed to be and it ended up right in a defender's lap and it would have been a pick six were it not for that Devion Clowney penalty. That's the kind of catastrophe that can happen with a miscommunication. If you have a miscommunication on the offensive line, if you remember a play from a couple years ago where Mike Remmers thought it was a screen and instead of blocking, he actually pushed the the defensive lineman faster toward Kirk Cousins because that's what you would do on a screen. That was a much worse play than any like getting beat for a pressure could ever be. So yeah, not ready is going to be worse than ready and bad every single time. And I think it's okay to just be patient. Uh, Nick from Blaine asks, do you see more motion being involved like the Texans game? What happens first? Better screen game, tight ends getting involved. So that's a bunch of questions. Uh, The first one, more motion being involved. Yes, absolutely. It Kind of see my, my theory on this is that the Vikings wanted to use motion but couldn't install it because of the lack of preseason and padded practices and stuff. And now that they could finally get around to installing it, uh, that they're going to be able to use it. They use it a ton against the Texans to great effect. I'd be super surprised if they moved away from it. Um, the second question, what happens for a better screen game uh, or tight ends getting more involved? I would say better screen game. That seems like another thing that they like couldn't rehearse as much as they wanted to. And so people aren't hitting their landmarks. It's another thing like, you know, a screen falls apart immediately if you don't hit the right landmark. And so guys, aren't hitting their landmarks and it's blowing up all the screens and I think that's something that uh, Vikings teams have been good at in the past and can get good at again if they can just get some time to practice it Um, that might even be like a bye week thing and tight ends getting involved. Listen, I mean, Kyle Rudolph, I think, is plenty involved, right? He had that touchdown uh, against the Titans. He had that really cool catch against the Texans. I mean, I think he's about as involved as he's going to get. And Irv Smith is just not playing very well. So he would just, like, as a receiver, he's just not playing great. And he's playing better as a blocker. Um, but that he just, I think he just needs to improve. And I think the likelihood of them getting better at screens is probably bigger than the likelihood of Irv Smith starting to play better. As also, like, there is pressure taking targets away from Irv Smith because, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are all playing great. And so, you know, there's they're starting to hog more and more market share. Even if Irv Smith does improve, you still might just want to throw it to Justin Jefferson deep anyways. Uh, Spooky Devin asks, do your expectations for the team change if they somehow beat the Seahawks? Uh, absolutely. Seahawks are a great team. Right now, the Vikings beat the Texans, and that's not going to change my expectations too much, right? And we can be happy about it. We can say, oh, wow, they're like pulling it together, and that's really nice. Uh, but th- that's not going to make me think that they're suddenly a playoff team to beat the 0-3, 0-4 Texans who just fired Bill O'Brien because of it. By the way, Gary Kubiak sends his regards. Um, but like, yeah, if you go on Sunday night into Seattle and beat the Seahawks and give them their first loss, that game is probably really chaotic. And winning in a chaotic situation against a Russell Wilson-led team is a hell of a feat. So yeah, absolutely, that would change my expectations. And then you'd be two and three. You're kind of back in the thick of things. You can start thinking about wild card. You can start thinking about what if the other team, you know, another team in the North collapses or whatever. Um, and and you know the the, the 
paradigm shifts quite a bit if that happens. So yeah, absolutely. DTK asks, is Irv Smith a real person or not? Starting to genuinely wonder. Yeah, I mean, he okay, he's been better at blocking and he hasn't been playing that well as a receiver, so he hasn't been getting open a lot. And when he has been getting open, Kirk Cousins isn't quite hitting him, so there's a timing thing that's not there quite yet. Maybe he'll come around at some point later in the season, but I'm not holding my breath on it. And honestly, with the way that Thielen and Jefferson are playing, there's not a lot of pressure on him to do that. It's not like they need that, but it would be nice. Um, but yeah, his disappearance, I think, has a lot more to do with him not playing great and a lot less to do with some like uh, conspiracy about scheme or Kirk Cousins not being comfortable with him or what I think he's just like not really getting open right now and that kind of sucks I, I was really excited for him uh, and finally I go by Brandon asks is Pat the weakest link and the missing link at the Samia time uh, for one screw you and your pun that's horrible you should be ashamed of yourself uh, for two uh, yes he is both right so if that basically that means is he the missing link? Meaning that, you know, does he improve the offense if he comes in because Samia comes in? Yes, he's better than Samia. He would improve the offense, but he would still probably be the weakest link. Like he's, uh, was been outplayed. I think Dozier has put up four games that were better than the one Pat Elfline played. So I still think he'd probably be worse than Dozier. Uh, he would be better than Samia, but not by enough to be better than anybody else on this offense. And that's pretty bleak. But hey, again, it's not really holding anything back, so I don't think we need to really break any glass in case of emergency. But that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about more of the tape and the PFF stuff and, and all of the really in-depth stuff and kind of uh, put a bow on this Texans game before we move on to Seahawks mode, which will be uh, crossover Thursday and then, of course, the deep dive Friday into the Seahawks game. So I'm really excited to show all of you guys that stuff. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi, made for football watchers. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, and you can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. And as always, Skull.